many made a commitment to uh, a New Year's resolution? Not a, oh, we have a few resolve folks. How many made uh, resolutions with regard to health or fitness? Come on now. Hey, at least you're honest. At least you won't have to worry about breaking your commitment this year, right? Not going to the gym. You just decided right off the bat, I'm not going to the gym this year. I'm not going to disappoint myself by not going. Um, Summer and I went to the Y the other day, and they were trying to sell us, you know, gave us one day free uh, where you can go and experience the Y and then uh, to determine whether or not you want to go there and uh, spend the money and, and have that as something that's available to you for the year. We, we're undecided right now, but uh, it was a good experience to go and get to swim and uh, go to the hot tub or the steam room and all that. And uh, it might be a good thing for me. I don't know. Uh, I did walk through the workout area and it was quite busy. Uh, folks in there working hard. And I mean, every one of those machines was working. I didn't see any place for uh, me to really fit in, to be honest. Not just because there wasn't any place to work out, uh, because I, I don't know what to do with any of those machines anyway. But it's something to think about, isn't it? People are thinking about it more and more, and you see a lot of books written on the subject, and everybody has that friend, you know, that gym buff friend, and uh, every time they, uh, they, uh, they shake your hand, they, are, they always, hey, man, they feel, love you. hey, how you doing? And, and you just, man, they're just rock solid, strong, and and uh, I have one friend of mine, he said, always telling me, you can, if you ever want to go to the gym, I'll show you how to do everything. You know, you got to do it the right way or you hurt yourself, Daniel. And, um, it's things like that that really discourage me from going to the gym because I really don't like hurting myself and certainly don't need to pay anybody or organization to let me hurt myself. And so I just try to play it safe and don't do a whole lot of that. I like to have fun, play basketball or find some other way to uh, burn a few calories if I can. But that's a work in progress for me, and by no way am any example uh, when it comes to uh, physical fitness. But what the scripture says, uh, and it has been, it was last May, it was nine months ago. If someone was pregnant, they would have had a baby by now, and I think somebody was. The beginning of this series, Andrea uh, was pregnant. Whether she knew it or not, she was pregnant. And now here, here we are, closer to the end of the series. I, I just could not believe nine months we have been studying spiritual disciplines. And so I hope that in the last nine months, I have done for you uh, what the why has not done for me, which is to sell you on the idea of discipline, spiritual disciplines. We, we've been talking about this. It's been nine months from prayer uh, to scripture to meditation uh, you name it, we have went over it, and it's been, it's been nine months, I just couldn't believe that. Maybe it, maybe it seems like uh, a couple years to you, but to me it just seems like it really wasn't that long ago. I was sitting down, the Lord is working this through me, and hey, we need to study spiritual disciplines, Daniel. So here we are, I feel like this one really is the most important of all, uh, and that's the spiritual discipline of worship. That's what we've been looking at. We started looking at the uh, wise men, and a couple things we learned about worship from them was that worship is a worship. We are declaring with our life, with our words, with our inner man, what the worth of God is. God, you are worth it. You are worthy. And that is the eternal song of those that are saved. Worthy, worthy uh, is the Lamb. And that worship is responding to God. That there is a God. Worship isn't something we have to generate in ourselves. 
but worship is something that starts with who He is, and then worship is our accurate response to Him. So I see the worthiness of God, and then I'm responding, God, I agree with your being and your character, and I'm saying, you're awesome, you are worthy, you are who you are. And as I do that, it is worshiping God. Or I do that for something else. I'm worshiping that something else. Worship is declaring God's worth. And much like the song, I love that last song we sung. Don't you that Be Thou My Vision. Wow, that is a beautiful song. Uh, the one I just love about that is that that's, that's our heart's desire is that God be set before us so clearly and vividly and accurately that, that He is our vision. He, he, is, he is my ambition. He is my way of seeing everything else. He, he himself is my vision. As David prayed in the, one of the Psalms, um, that it was his desire, one request and one desire to, to be in the presence of God, he said, that I might gaze upon your beauty. And so that's just a man that's just enraptured with God. He's like, you can take everything else. I got one thing I want, and that's just to look at you. To look at you is enough. If we understand who God is, we're saying th- we start saying things like that, you know. We start realizing, wow, that's, that's really what I've been after in these other departments of my life. That's what I've been craving in this relationship, in that hobby, in that job, in that ambition, in that career. David figured it out. These things are going to fade away. These things are empty. I need one thing. I just need you. I just need to see you. And so be thou my vision. That we, we, we learn that worship is about seeing, or should I say believing, and having our heart to see Christ more clearly. So for some of you that are here, I thank God that you're here. But, but Jesus very well is not like, like you see him. It's like he is a great idea. He's, an, he's a, um, a great concept. Uh, but you wouldn't say, I know him. I know him personally. And that's our prayer for you this morning is is that you would see him with the eyes of faith. You would see what he did for you and how, how much he loves you. Uh, and that, that you might know him this day forevermore. Let me just make the... I'm, I'm going to read a few statements just because um, I, I want to accomplish a couple things this morning. And sometimes uh, it can, I, I don't want to appear to be a double-minded man. I have two, two seemingly disjointed things to say. So... Um, they are connected, but not in an obvious way. So I'm going to announce them forthrightly, and, uh, but both rest upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So two things I want to tell you, both of them resting upon the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So uh, we, we learned that bodily exercise profits little, but godliness profits for all things. Having the promise of life that is now and that which is to come. So here we are nine months later, we've studied... Uh, several different disciplines and worship we study now. Also, one more thing about uh, worship, and then I'll make my two statements. Sorry, worship is sa- means sacrifice. Worship means sacrifice. And those wise men, they brought gifts, didn't they? And ever since then, God's people have been bringing gifts before God. But it is responding to the ultimate sacrifice, right? He made a sacrifice. That's the big deal. It's his sacrifice. Now we're making some little small joyous responses to that sacrifice. You gave your life for me, it's, I'm going to give my life for you. Um, 
But responding to God's person and work in worship will mean committing ourselves to the local church, one, and producing the fruit of righteousness, among which includes championing, championing life, born and unborn. That's a, that's a big statement, so I want you to get this. Uh, responding to God's person and work in worship. Now, that's the discipline we're talking about is worship. And worship is responding to who God is and what God has done. It will mean a lot of things, but two things that we're going to talk about right now. One of them is, it means I'm going to commit myself to a local community of faith. You're hard-pressed to say, I am a worshiper of God if I'm not connecting myself as, as much as is possible with a local flock of people. And number two, in doing so, we're going to produce fruit, and we're going to produce fruit together. And one of those things is that we, of all people, who know God, who know a Christ, who said He is the life, ought to be a people who believe in the cause of life. We of all people ought to be people, as the children of God, who are the offspring of God, that ought to know the value of our own offspring. We of all people ought to be people that express love, love for the born and love for the unborn. We of all people ought to be people that are willing to stand against the tide of what's popular, because the world already is against us, and stand for what is right. And we of all people ought to be kind of people that would be an advocate and a deliverer for those that have no voice because we are those that God came. He was our advocate. He was our deliverer. And so it's only a, an expression of what God has done for us. I invite you to make your way now to the book of um, Hebrews. Hebrews, and uh, if you're a, while you're making yourself there, I uh, just to trick you a little bit. I'm I'm going to go back to Romans 12. I just I just want you to Hebrews. We're going there. If you want to, you can jump in and join me in Romans 12. But we're on our way to Hebrews. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. Uh, you'll recall from last week. We were talking about how God, our, our sacrifice to God is a responding sacrifice to His sacrifice. And then in Romans for 11 chapters, he's talking about Christ's great sacrifice of mercy for us. Right? Jesus did some things for you. And because of what He did for us, he starts in Romans 12 and he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. And after that, through the rest of that chapter, he begins to explain to that church, what does that mean? How do you do that? What, is it, what does it look like? Don't just give us a, 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 a beautiful idea, like laying down your life and being a living sacrifice. Play this out for us in a practical way. And that's exactly what Paul does in the rest of that chapter. Now, we've done a series on this very chapter, but what I want to point out to you right now is that everything Paul, or much of what Paul is telling them about being a living sacrifice because of what Christ has done is going to be done and some of it can only be done if 
One is connected to a local community of faith. Your local church. If ever there was a time to say you're preaching to the choir, it's now. The message this morning is go to church. Go to church. Faithfully and regularly. But you'll notice in Scripture you never really find this command real clearly that just says go to church. You find something more intimate, more deeper, that assumes you go to church. It's in Hebrews we'll find a clear call to actually attend a gathering. But throughout Scripture, he's always telling them to do things together, which assumes you are connected to a local church body. Living sacrifice. Because of what Christ has done, what are some of the ways I'm going to be a living sacrifice? I just put a couple of the verses up here on the screen. But he's saying, I beseech you therefore, brethren, present your bodies... You know, just imagine one body on the sacrificial altar. We're all there together. We're sacrificing our lives together. We're in this together. We're worshiping God and giving up our lives for the Christ who gave up his life for us. And we are doing that together. Number two, in, in verses three through five, he says that they are members of one body. He's like, you guys are in this together. And he tells them that to tell them what he's going to tell them in six and on, which is about... Uh, their spiritual gifts. And he begins to tell them, hey, you don't have all the gifts, but he says you might have the gift of mercy or administration. And he begins to tell them how as a body complements, different members complement one another. He says it's important for you guys, you're laying down your life as living sacrifices, but you're going to do this together and you're going to complement one another. Okay? Look to your neighbor and say, I need you. You really do. You, you need the person to your left and your right. You really need them. Now, that was healthy. That was, for some of you, that was you were telling your, your husband or wife that was some, some healing going on there. Uh, you really do need them. But I want you to know, in, in another intimate way, you need, you need your church family. I really wish I would have got this as a youngster. I, I, I got saved when I was 17, and I didn't need anybody. You know? I got the book. I got the spirit. That's all I need. I'm telling you what, you need you need your local church. That also tells you something else. Your local church ought to be operating in a way that people are making these kind of statements. In other words, if all we ever do is get together, sit down, listen, and leave, then I don't know that you actually need that. I really don't. I don't know that you could actually say, I need that. Because the gifts are not operating. You got, we got one gift operating. That's not to say anything... For those that are operating, there's many spiritual gifts at work. You know, we got people downstairs working, um, and, and political correctness. Okay, but moving on, we need to be a family that's really, really complimenting one another. You really have spiritual gifts that God's given you, and it's such a privilege to sit down with a fellow that has recently released himself to Christ and just have lunch with him. He's saying, "What is my spiritual gift? Help me, Pastor. Help me discover my spiritual gift." And that's really your pastor's job in your life is to help you be equipped for the work of ministry. That is my personal favorite uh, meeting to have with you is for you to say, "Hey, how can God use me in ministry?" That is my job in your life. That is my gift to you in, in your life. Um, so he tells them that you got spiritual gifts, and, and then he, he begins to tell them. That verse 13, you're going to be living sacrifices. You know what you're going to do? You're going to distribute to the saints. Who's that? That's other believers. You're going to take care of one another. You're going to distribute what you have to those that need the saints. The church is going to take care of 
one another. Again, you cannot be a living sacrifice unless you're taking care of one another. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? To accurately respond to what God is doing. That means I give something to my brother who needs me. Or else I am not being a living sacrifice. I am not doing my reasonable service of worship, which is what it says in that first verse. Okay? There's brothers here that need our help. Guess what? It's our job to release greed and bless them. And that's what that is. That is saying, I don't worship greed. I worship God, so I bless my brother. I give you what I have. So he says, not only gifts, not only distributing, but then he goes on to verse 16, he says, be of the same mind toward one another. And what I just want to show you is all of this goes under the umbrella of worshiping God. So Paul, for, for 11 chapters, he says, God did something great for you. He died for your sins and he rose again. And now you're going to respond to that. And that's your reasonable service of worship. And let me be more specific with you. And many of the specifics that he goes into involve the way you will work together. You must have a together. You must have a church family. And you must not forsake that church family. And by church family, I really mean that in the most intimate way. It is a family. And that requires work. That requires forgiveness. We know that here, don't we? You're going to have to forgive. You're going to have to let some things heal. You're going to have to let some things be. You're going to have to know that you're right and bite your tongue. Because that's what a family does. They forgive one another. They go to bed. They wake up the next morning and they cook breakfast for the other. That's what a family does. A family loves We want to be that. We want to support one another. We want to partner together because this mission is too important for us not to. Now you're in Hebrews, and um, I tell you what, you know, uh, as the old timers would say, Steve, it's this is shouting ground here for me. Uh, Hebrews chapter ten. Oh, it's just it's the best. It is for me. You talk pastor's favorite uh, scripture here is uh, Hebrews ten. And uh, a couple years back, we went to the Philippines. I took this, this is, the Lord put this on my heart. And I tell you, we just, I just kept preaching this same message at just about every church I was in. It just seemed to fit that context so well, but I think it just fits anywhere. So you're going to see this same pattern in Hebrews 10, and that is Jesus did something so humbling, so amazing, so great for you. He gave himself as an offering for you. Jesus did that for you. And now because of what he did for you, he then makes some statements about what we're going to do for him. Not so that he will do something for us. He already has unconditionally. This is the, this is, this is the key to your motivation in the spirit, by the way. This, this is the oxygen that will feed that flame that is your salvation. It is to understand you are responding to an unconditional, unmerited work that God did for you. That offering, that gift God gave for you, it is there. It is there on your bad days. It is there if you wake up and you are spiritually lazy. It's still there. It is upon you. It is abiding upon you. It is God's love and salvation and approval of you. And that is all of you. 
the sanctified, the, those that are behaving yourself, and those that, man, you just really blew it this week. If you know Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have the righteousness of Christ. And His mercy and His approval of you has not even blinked. It is undying. The reason for that is because Christ made a great offering. <clears throat> an offering that you could not make. Verse 4 says, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. This is Christ speaking. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. This is Christ speaking to the Father. All the sacrifices that people are making, that's not going to save them, is it, Father? You don't even desire that, do you? And he's saying all of the, the Old Testament sacrifices, all of, the, all of the blood that has been spilt up to this point, all of the good behavior of man, may we say of your own life, all of your own good behavior, combined, all of man's accomplishments, the best of us, if we were to weed out the worst of us and, and, and make man the best, of, the best we can find, whether that's Billy Graham in your eyes or uh, the Pope or... Uh, was that lady? Spent so much a lot for time. But it's Mother Teresa. We were to bring our best before God. and This is our offering. Look at the life they've lived. I do not desire that. It's not enough. Christ says, their offerings will not save them, but I myself will take on a body. I will be the offering that they can't give you, Father, and that will save them. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, he saves him. I'm going to have to skip down a little bit. It, it, but he goes on to talk about the, the accomplishments of this offering. And um, not, to, um, not to tout my own horn, toot my own horn or something like that. We don't sell our CDs, so I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to sell you something. But we have a sermon series here. Uh, on this, this passage of Scripture. I just invite you, it's been, it's been life-changing to me every time I read this passage. But he goes on then to tell them what that means. It means God's going to actually forget their sin. He's going to wipe away their sin. That's a beautiful idea. You just think about that, that thing you're so ashamed of, that thing you're so embarrassed about, that thing that, that, that caused you to almost cower to come this morning. He's saying, I'm forgetting that. I don't know about that. You need a dose of that. You just look there at verse 17. He says, Their sins and their lawless deeds will, I will remember no more. And there's a remission of sin. He then goes on to say, we, have, we ought to be doing a few things. He says, you ought to be able to go to God freely. You ought to be able to pray. And the, the application I want you to see, the response to the offering that I want you to see right now, is the one that's found in verse 24. Let me read verse 23 with it. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Consider one another. 
The word for consider uh, is the idea that you and I would be aware and intimately aware of one another. Can you say that about your church family? Can you really consider them? Or do you not know them? There are people around here that you don't know. You know what? It's your fault. Especially if there are non-members here. Whose job is it to, to, to extend hospitality and love and friendship outside the walls of this building? Is it them? Do we, do we actually expect people to come in here and just be a better church member than you are? Is that, is that what we expect of our guests in this church? No. Remember this. Guests never sit by themselves unless they really want to. And then we have a bigger problem. They should never sit by themselves. Invite someone to church, you ought, you ought to meet them out in the parking lot. You let them know this. Hey, I'll meet you in the parking lot. I'll, I'll walk you in. We're going to sit together. We'll let people know that. They should never sit alone. They should never walk out the door alone. I'm not saying harass them, but I'm just saying, oh, how, what would you do if somebody came into your house? How would you love them? How would you... You would bend over backwards. Is the temperature okay for you? Do you like the food? Can I get you some more tea? We would consider them. And as a church, we have a responsibility to be hospitable. Ever there ought to be a place that communicates the hospitality of God Himself to man, it ought to be God's people communicating that same hospitality to, to the world. You're welcome here. You're very welcome here. So there, there's about a million things we can do without compromising in order to express hospitality and show, show the love of Christ. It will meet you where you are. And just express common decency. Consider one another. But also, this is saying, be, be intimately aware. I would suggest to you, be aware of your members. And a lot of that's not going to happen if you just come to church on this part of the service. You don't need to come on Wednesday nights, get a part of, be a part of a group, uh, be a part of a Bible study, a Sunday morning, uh, Sunday school. We have uh, some Bible studies we're starting in people's homes for that reason. So people will really bond together and really be the church. And their spiritual gifts can work together. And for the last year, uh, I've tried to invest. And there's some, some men that have invested in the Word of God. And they've been training so that they can start more groups like this. And they sit right here among you. Jason, Don there's many right here in this room. They're going to be starting groups in recent... In, in, very soon, to give you all opportunity to come be a part of that. And so thank the Lord for, for opportunities like that, but you're going to have to take advantage of those as we make you aware. Do you have a Sunday school teacher? What, where, what Sunday school class did you go to? See, it's there that I learned that, that somebody had surgery. It's there that I learned to, to pray for someone else. And it's from there that can very well be a launching pad that says, hey, what are you doing uh, on Monday? Or they say, hey, you know, pray for me. I have a I'm really having a hard time. I'm moving this week. and Okay, I'll pray for you. But also, I have an S10. Do you think you need a hand? What do you think? See, that's what family do, isn't it? They love one another. They care for one another. That's the kind of church we want to be. For those that we know well, because we've been here for 127 years since the beginning, and those that just now came to be a part of our fold, the new and the old. I want to stretch you a little bit. You ought to know somebody new this year, have a new brother, have a new sister this year that's really a part of your life. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Notice that. He does not call this missing church. He doesn't call this, hey, uh, I didn't make it this week. Uh, he doesn't say, 
Um, you know, I, I, uh, I, I just uh, didn't get around to it. I woke up late. He's not near as dismissive about the idea of missing church uh, as we are. No, you, you didn't just sleep in. You didn't just forget about it. You forsook something. You forsook something. That's the way the Spirit of God saw fit to inspire this word. He wants people to think about this. Think about this accurately. You didn't just stay home because you had the flu. You forsook something. Just joking. That's the one time where we want you to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And please find a good sermon on your television. But on a serious note, think about any other reason. You know, how often is it we miss church? We miss the gathering. You're forsaking. You're not just forsaking a service. You're forsaking your brothers and sisters. You're forsaking an opportunity for the Spirit of God to minister to you. This isn't, this isn't just about a religious organization. Forsake that, if that's all this is. But Christ himself, the Spirit of God, is telling us, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Because there's something divinely valuable about this. As simple and as human as this might seem, this time, this interaction with one another, it seems so simple. It seemed, you know, if you, you could be in a, a seminar for all that matters. I mean, we have a building, we have a speaker, we have a, a time, we have an order of service. And there, there's so many things that are just so human. It's easy to think that what we're doing is just human. But then God himself says, don't stop doing that. Keep doing that. And to those that did stop, he says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. No, don't do that. Be a part of this. When God himself says things like that, things then become very divinely valuable. And so church is valuable. I want you to know it's valuable. It's valuable when you have a bad service and a lame sermon. It's still valuable. It's valuable when you come and it's hard because you don't know many people. It's still valuable. It's valuable when you come and, and it's hard because, you, man, you, you aren't getting along with somebody or you feel like you're not fitting in. Right, right, yeah. It's valuable because it's the worship of God. Whatever it is you have to push through to keep coming back and being a part of church, push through because it's divinely valuable. It is not just a gathering among men, but a gathering among men around the throne of God. And so it's valuable. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. But what does he say? He's saying instead of forsaking, what should you be doing? Sitting in a church. It doesn't say that, does it? This was a real revelation for me in the past reading this. It, he's contrasting forsaking with provoking one another to good works and love. In other words, it's not enough just for me to come to church and go, I'm not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. He's saying, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but instead what we ought to be doing is provoking one another to love and good works which means we could actually be coming and sitting in a building physically, but spiritually and emotionally, you're not here. You're not here. You're just, just crickets, you know? Just, just not here. And so you're, you're forsaking the assembling of yourselves together if you're not actively trying to provoke one another to love and good works. So look around. These are the people that God is calling you 
to provoke. Don't end there, okay? Not just provoke to anything. In a lot of churches, we provoke each other, don't we? He says to provoke, and it is that word. It means to provoke or to irritate or to stir up. To stir up love. Stir up good works in the person sitting around you. Stir that up in them. That's your job. Church becomes very less me-centered when we start thinking about this. You're like, well, I didn't like that song, or that service was too long. The, things, the, th- the question you ought to be asking yourself as you walk in to be a part of a service is not, am I going to like this? Is not, how is this for me? It is, how can I love and provoke others to love and good works? Now you're not even thinking about yourself. You're very selfless at this point. You're very much invested in others. And this church has gone on so many years because there's been a core of people doing this. I'm telling you, this is the day, if ever there was, when that core of people must grow. We can't afford to have a handful of people being about the assembling of ourselves together in sincerity. We cannot carry the weight. We're at a time in our church where we need 100% participation in assembling ourselves together and provoking one another to love and good work. So yes, I'm talking about you. You say, I'm 10 years old. I'm talking about you. You say, I've put my time in. I'm, I'm 80 years old. Yes, I am talking to you. Give us your wisdom. You say, I'm new here. I we need you. We desperately need you also. Because God said we need you. God said we need this, so we must need this. That's all it was for me at a time in my life, but then... I, then I actually got a good church family. You know, you guys are really my first good church family. And I realize how the body of Christ complements and how I need you and how you need me and how this body thing works. And we just need to see more of that. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. A lot of people make all kinds of excuses, you know. I don't go to church because I was forced as a child or my spouse doesn't go or I'm not perfect or the people are hypocrites or I don't want to put anything in the plate or I have nothing to wear or I don't understand or the sermon's too long or I don't know anyone or I have to get ready for football or it's too hot or it's too cold or I can't find childcare, or I go to church online or I listen to Billy Graham or I don't feel led or it's just, it's easy, it's, it's not for me. But you begin to apply that to eating, eating food, you know. This Bible says that, that this is important for us, it's like food for us, that Christ himself is the bread of life and that his word is like milk for us. You apply this to eating, would you say, I don't eat. Why not? Why don't you eat? I don't eat because I was forced to eat as a child. I don't eat because people who eat all the time are hypocrites. They're, they're really, they aren't really that hungry. I don't eat because there's so many different kinds of food. I can't decide what to eat. I don't eat because I used to eat, but I got bored and I stopped. I don't eat because it takes too long. I don't eat everything. None of my friends eat, so I don't eat. I only eat on special occasions like Easter or Christmas. I began to apply that to eating, and I thought, you know, this just doesn't make sense. If this really is as valuable as God says it is, and with spiritual eyes and faith, if we haven't experienced it yet, we just have to believe that. For those of you that have been in church, I've heard this, I've heard this statement from some of you. I've heard, it, I've heard it for so many, really. They say, I don't know what people do without a church family. 
And usually that comes from, the, from people that are older and they have, they have just been blessed and benefited from the body. And they, they go, I don't know how other people survive. I don't know how they make it. Because they don't know what it's like. They don't know what it's like to have a friend to lean on that's going to pray for you. They don't know what it's like to be down and actually have a community of people that care for you. They don't know what it's like to have a people that, that will check you. That will check you. you. Sometimes you go, I can't do this because I, I'm a, I am a member of this local community and we don't do that. There's an accountability. There's a, there is an embodiment of the conviction of Christ that I need in my life. It's not enough, it's not enough for me that an invisible God has told me don't do some things. I, I still do them. It helps me that the body of Christ is here before me. Your presence is an accountability for me. I need that because I'm a sinner. I need you because I'm broken. I need you because I'm a sinner. I need you because I don't have everything. I have a blind side here and there and everywhere. I don't have all the gifts. The body of Christ has all the spiritual gifts to minister to me. I need you. You need each other. Um, Another thing you see there is this is the model in the book of Acts. It says they were gathering together. They were fellowshipping together. They were in the Word together. There's a lot of things you just can't do without a church. How can you bear one another's burdens, as the Bible says? How can you use spiritual gifts? Another one has to do with... um, and notice that he says we ought to be doing this all the more as we see the day coming nigh. Do it more. So he, he, he said this a long time ago. He says, as the end of time comes, the church people, the gathering, they ought to be gathering more and more and more. So I, I figure at this point we, we probably ought to be spending like all of our waking hours together because the coming is really drawing nigh. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together then, but all the more as you see the day drawing nigh. The day is drawing. Nigh. And you'll look back, you're not going to be, man, I just, I wish I could have spent more time at work. You're not going to say that. I just, I wish I would have picked up a few more hobbies. You know, I could have collected shells. I could have, I could have figured out how to swing a nine iron. I could have caught some big trout. I could have sewed a few things. Nobody says that. Nobody says also, I spent too much time investing in what God wanted me to invest in. My family and my church. Nobody says that. All the more as the day's drawing nigh, we want to be able to look back and go, yeah, I didn't forsake the assembling. And I'm glad I didn't. It's prepared me. It's prepared me for an evil day. Hebrews 13 it's just one, of, one example where you see the reality that people require, that God's people need a pastor. They need a leader. Don't you know, if you're an independent Christian, you're a lone wolf without a local church family, without a pastor, you are missing something because God said churches ought to have a pastor. God said people ought to go to church. And so these are just some things that I'm, I'm saying. There's not a lot of verses that say go to church or the church is important. There's just all these verses that, that, of things that assume you know this already. You know? Like nobody rents a hotel room and then, and then they, 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 there's the bed there and there's a the TV. There's basically nothing to do but sleep and wake up and go do what you're going to do. Nobody goes, nobody told me I was supposed to sleep. Where am I supposed to sleep? I didn't know I was supposed to sleep on the bed. Does my head go here or here? It just It's assumed. When you got the room, nobody had to explain to you there's a bed in there, and that's the place when you lay when you get tired. 
We know that. It's just assumed. And that's the way church is too. It's just assumed in Scripture. It's like, go do this, go do this, do this. And you really are like, that's only things I could actually do if I were in a community of faith. Well, even so, you see in Hebrews 13, it says, verse uh, 17, or verse 7. Verse 7, it says, By the way, this is after telling him all that Christ has done. And it says that we ought to be an offering to God. And then he begins to give us some ways how we ought to be an offering to the Lord. He says, Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conversation. So here's the passage on the screen. Not forsaking yourself. Worshiping God together means having a pastor. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. So many, people, so many Christians in the world, they can say, I don't have anybody like that. I don't, have any, I don't have a pastor in my life. I don't have a bishop in my life. I don't have a spiritual leader in my life. They're not connected to a church. Some are connected to a church, but they're not connected to their pastor. They're not connected to any kind of spiritual leadership. And you think about this in life. That we would never apply this sort of foolishness in life. You know, I was a foolish 17-year-old. I knew everything because I got saved. I just knew everything. Had I submitted myself to good pastoral leadership, I don't know where I'd be today. I would have grown. I would have accomplished a lot more. I would have used those early years of my salvation much more wisely. Had I had the humility to put myself under someone else's wing, it would lead me right. So how can you do that? You can't do that unless you're worshiping by gathering in a local Ecclesia, a local group of believers. You see the same thing in verse 17. Verse 7 says, remember them. Remember your pastor. Remember those that rule over you. Verse 17, obey those that rule over you and be submissive. For they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. I would like to tell you it's a joy to be your pastor. But, you know, it's... It's something you could never do unless you believed and committed yourself to the local church. How can you obey those that rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls? So apparently God wants us to be a part of a church where others complement our gifts and we operate together and we operate under leadership. I used to really run from this because they were like, I can't, you know, Lord, that's, that's too much. That's, that sounds like, I, like I'm on an ego trip. It was years ago, God said, no, 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 this is, this is not about you, Daniel. This is about me. I'm the shepherd. And you're the under-shepherd. You want to be the under-shepherd? Yes, I do, Lord. Then be everything I'm telling you to be. And expect others to recognize that. I don't feel that important to you. I don't feel that important to me. But that's what it says. It says you need a pastor in your life. I don't have to be that pastor, but you need a pastor in your life. And I emphasize this last part, in your life. The people that I've seen really grow have taken this seriously. They have let their pastor know what's going on in their life. They have let him disciple them, and they have flourished. But it's not a pastor. It's got to be someone you respect enough in this building that you follow them, that you confide in them. But you could never do this without a pastor or without other 
church members. Verse 24 finally says, Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Say hello. Give your blessing to those that rule over you in the church and the saints and your fellow members. In other words, say hello to them because I know you're getting together with them. Again, all of these point to one thing, one simple point I'm making. That is, go to church. And I mean all of you. All of your gifts, all of your spirit, all of you emotionally, mentally engage and be a part of the church. And when I say the church, I don't mean a period of time on Sunday. I mean these people around you, the church. Commit yourself to them. Now as you do that, we're going to gather and we're going to flock around some things that are important. We're going to stand together for what is right and what is good. And one of the fruits you're going to see is the fruit of righteousness. The fruit of righteousness expressed in the church. It means we're going to stand together. We're going to stand for what's right and what's holy. We're going to speak for those that can't speak for themselves. I ask uh, Mr. Brian to come forward and Samantha and Melissa. Come forward, please. Come right forward. The scripture says in Psalms 139... You did form me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You knew me right. You knew me well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. The scripture says that we're made in the image of God and that murder is wrong because we're made in the image of God. The scripture makes it plain that sin, which means we must have a soul, sin is present in us when we're in the womb. What does this mean? This means what is in the womb is a living soul. As much human and as much a soul as you are. It is no more right to rip you apart in this service. To pull your arms and legs apart. To drill into your head. Now, than it would have been when you were in the womb. You are just as valuable now before God as you were in the womb. And for that reason, there is a very unpopular genocide, a very unpopular cause that we ought to stand behind. That's the cause of life, born and unborn. So Mr. Brown has some good news for us. I tell a lot of people, you know, it's like you love your kids more than you know anything. You think, you think yourself like God loves us more than that. And to me, that's a miracle. So just that anybody could love us, you know, that much. So thank you all again, and uh, we look forward to y'all getting to meet her in the next few weeks. We applaud the, what the Lord has given you, brother. And um, so, so we, while we rejoice, we rejoice in, in the blessed gift of life and, and support you as a father and, and what you're going to do. Did you come by the church? No. I, didn't. I know with, with his last child, he came by, he was, well, the first place he wanted to come with his child was the church, you know, and, and, uh, 
and spend some time in prayer. And so that, that's just Brian's heart uh, because, because life is that important. And so that, that's what we gather around. We, we applaud that. And while we applaud uh, what God has given, uh, how we mourn and, and we ask ourselves, how can we, how can we help out? Uh, because for so many, um, they are not given the, the blessed opportunity of life. And so uh, Melissa's going to share with us a little bit about ministry she's a part of. become a part of this ministry a little over a year ago. We opened in Mars Hill about four months ago, and our goal is to save a life. Um, we help with unplanned pregnancies. We have ladies that come in, and they are seeking an abortion, or um, they don't know what they're going to do with a the baby. They're really scared. It was unplanned. It was very unexpected, and so they just want to know some information. So we take some time um, all of our services are free. We do a pregnancy test, and we just talk to them. We talk to them about their life choices, what's brought them there to the center. Um, we also do an ultrasound. It helps show a little bit of reality of what's going on. You know, a lot of these ladies are early on, so they can't feel the baby inside. So it helps show them that it is a life. They get to see the heartbeat. They get to spend some time being a mom uh, for the first time meeting their baby. And so it's a, it's a wonderful experience. Uh, we also get to, since we're a Christian ministry, we also get to share Christ with these ladies. Um, about every girl I've met has had the wrong idea about Christianity, about Jesus. And so it's a great opportunity to take the time to kind of work through all of that and, and teach them about their relationship with Jesus and how that's the most important and um, so it's a great experience. So I just want you guys to look over this. Um, the biggest thing is to pray. We are funded solely through churches and individuals. And um, we do that where we don't have to have any kind of restrictions from the government. And we have a lot of the government in itself fighting against us um, with Planned Parenthood and so forth. Their goal, their ultimate goal is to shut us down. Um, but so if you would pray for us, there's some pledge cards in the back and some donor envelopes so if you feel that God's leading you to give some money then there's some envelopes back there there's also some pledge cards that talks a little bit about um, what all we do and we also love volunteers we're ran a lot of volunteers I'm the only paid person there and so you get to spend some time with these ladies and help us um, if nothing else please pray pray for me Pray for our volunteers. Pray for these ladies to um, work in their life and hopefully transform each and every one of them. So honestly, just me standing up here right now, I have huge public anxiety. So I find it a blessing right now that God's keeping me kind of calm. I'm a little anxious, but it's nothing compared to a few years ago. So I just want to praise the Lord for that, first off. But um, at work last week, we had an all-staff meeting at Elida, and they talked about how we needed therapeutic foster families. 
in the community. So this is a family that would provide care for a child as young as or an infant, zero up to a young adult, 21 years of age. And basically what a therapeutic foster family would be doing would be providing structure, love, and support to a young person who desperately needed it that wasn't provided by their biological family. Um, and it could be that their biological family is still involved and it's a process of getting everyone on the same page, but it's also a way to provide structure and witness to these young people to show them that not everything in this world is cruel, that the Lord is there and that they, um, with our help or the community's help, that they can succeed. They don't have to be put down. They don't have to go through abuse. It, things can turn around and be hopeful for them. So Elida's goal um, is to pro, uh, train families. They provide 30 hours to 40 hours of training um, to families who are interested in uh, providing these services to these young people. And it is a great need right now. There's not enough families that are offering this shelter for these young people that so desperately need it. Um, so they end up in group homes or different places that don't give an optimum way of life. And a lot of times they can end up getting different types of abuse just because there's so many people in these settings. Um, so what I was uh, speaking with Daniel about earlier this week in summer was possibly reaching out and seeing if anyone in the church would be interested in learning more about these services. I do have um, some coworkers who would be happy to come out here and talk more about what exactly the expectation is, what you would be taking on. Um, I do know that they do provide some money to help care for the child, so it shouldn't be a financial burden, if that would be the biggest concern people would have, because it is a lot to take on a whole nother mouth to feed and uh, back to clothe in your house. But the most important thing that I would be asking and um, these young kids would be asking would be someone to love them and provide them nurturing and structure and show them the right way to where they go down a healthy path. And um, it doesn't matter if you're a single parent or if it's a family and you have five kids, you know, <laughs> they don't mind anything. Each kid needs something a little different. So be grateful for anyone who would be interested. Just let me know yes or no, and I'll stand back with Daniel. Um, so you can just say I would be interested to hear more about um, Elida and what I can do to help. And also just pray that more families um, will step up and really try to help our young people in our community so that they can succeed. I'm gonna ask, like I said, I'm going to ask her to, to follow me back there, and so she's back there to give you a little bit more information. But, you know, we, we, are, we are very accountable at this point. Uh, here we have, we have seen a child that God has given us to uh, be a part of our church, and Brian's uh, precious little girl. Uh, we are accountable to love her, cherish her, and support this family as they uh, raise a godly household. Uh, we are accountable. I mean, the, the infrastructure, the finances uh, to be a part of both of these ministries is present in this room. And so it's a little bit of a fearful thing. Uh, these are not the only ways you can support the cause of life, but these are two things that God has put before you this morning, undoubtedly. And um, the, I think there's an opportunity for blessing or even curse on our church in how we respond to this, this very weighty, very weighty issue. Uh, I think it's around 57 million uh, murders since uh, Roe v. Wade. And let me conclude by saying this. Anytime we talk about abortion in a, in a group this size, there's somebody that is connected. If you have not had one, 
Um, you know, a lot of times the guys get a pass when it comes to abortion. A lot of, a lot of boyfriends that push uh, their girls that way. So chances are within, within the walls right now there's someone here and uh, we love you, we, we care for you. Uh, this in no way is saying that you are unforgiven or unforgivable. Uh, I'd like to say, draw your attention again to what the passage said. He said, I will remember your sins no more. And so the beauty of this is, is while we support the cause of life, I want you to know if, if it's too late for you, hey, I've already been a part, I've already had an abortion. Uh, I encourage my girlfriend to have an abortion. Um, whatever. I want you to know, that pat, let the, walk out of here with, those, with that word ringing in your ear. Uh, as you recall your sin, as, as pain comes your way, I, I assure you there is a shepherd who loves you, who cherishes you, and he has forgotten something. Uh, and it would do well for you to, uh, to reach out. I'm here to talk to you. Uh, hurt a lot worse. And so uh, your pastor's here. Uh, other people in the church are here to love you and talk to you. Uh, even if you just, just want somebody to listen, we're here, we're here to talk to you. Melissa is here to talk to you. It's what she does. And so reach out and, uh, and share with Melissa uh, about that. And so uh, Melissa will be standing over here as we, as we conclude. So I'm just going to close this out in prayer this morning. But Father, we, we commit ourselves, Lord, to the local church, to exercising our gifts, to following our pastor, to assembling and provoking one another to love and to good works. And God, may one of those good works be that we, we honestly repent where we need to repent when it comes to the cause of life. Lord, may we not be so in love with our politics that we ignore 57 million innocent lives murdered. Lord, may, may we repent. God, give us grace and the reality to weep. Help us to not sweep this truth under the rug. Help us to weep where you weep. And Lord, help us to march together both in this cause and the cause of the gospel and all that you would call, call your people to do and to do together. We don't want to miss a beat. We want to be... We don't want to be Beaverdam Baptist Church, Lord. We want to be your church. We want to be your people. And make us that, God. Make us all that you have in your mind. Lord, in your, your mind there is a vision and it is perfect. Oh, Lord, let it descend down upon us. May it be our vision for our local church here. And may it be accomplished, the power of your spirit in this place and among us. In Christ's name. Greet somebody that you don't usually say hey to and...